0: Welcome everyone. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Tim McPherson. I'm the Enchanted Hills Campus Pastor, which is our Rio Rancho location. And uh, just want to say I'm really glad that, that, that I get to be here with you tonight. Uh, I want to start, though, by asking you a question. Have you ever found yourself in a spot where you felt like you were, you were drowning? And I don't mean metaphorically or anything like that. I mean, you felt like you were actually going to drown because I have, and it was all my fault. See, it was back when I was in college, I, was, I just started dating this girl that I was, I was crazy about. It was early on in the relationship, and so all I wanted to do was, was to impress her. And so one of the things I did, a few weeks into dating, I actually ended up driving out to her, her hometown of Lake Tahoe. It was a really rough vacation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hanging out at Lake Tahoe with her and we decide one day that we're gonna go down to the beach uh, and hang out at the lake of Lake Tahoe. And as we're sitting there, we're talking and we're talking on the beach and I'm, listen, any moves I got, I'm using them. I'm laying on the charm thick because I am desperate to impress this girl. Well, as we're talking, things are going well until she says, hey, why don't we swim out to that buoy I see out on the water? That'll be a lot of fun. And in this moment, I thought, this is it, Tim. This is your moment because you used to swim in high school four years ago, but you used to swim. So this is gonna be your moment to really, really impress her. And so I, I, a little too excitedly, I said, yes, I'm in, let's go. And I ran and I jumped headfirst into that water. I started swimming as hard and as fast as I could. I wasn't thinking about pacing myself whatsoever and things were fine except that my system had experienced a shock. What I mean by that is, I don't know if you know this about the, the, the water of Lake Tahoe, but it is not ocean water. It is not warm. It is not soothing. No, the water from Lake Tahoe, if you didn't know, it comes from melted snow. That means even in the middle of the summer, it's cold, all right? And I didn't know this because I grew up in a desert. You know, I'm a product of the Santa Fe public school systems. I didn't know. (laughs) Three people from Santa Fe. I love it. I didn't know. And so I jump in. I'm not this combination of I'm not pacing myself in the freezing cold water. My body said, you know what? We're out, no thanks, and my muscles, I never had this happen before, my muscles shut down. They all started to, to tighten up, my muscles started to lock up. By the time I made it out to that stinking buoy, I had, a, I had a cramp in my pinky toe, you know what I mean? It was bad, but remember, I'm trying to impress this girl, and so I'm, I'm playing it cool. And I was like, yeah, you climb up on the buoy, you catch your breath, girl, I'm fine, Ooh, okay? And so she's catching her breath up on this buoy, and I'm pretending like I'm not dying, but I'm dying. And then she looks at me and she says the fateful words, well, I guess it's time to swim back. I forgot about that one. And so I thought to myself, well, it's been a good life. It's been a good run. <laughs> she is a local, so she zips back to the shoreline. She's totally fine. I'm sure she turned around and she saw me there, 22 years old, in the prime of my life, doggy paddling. Because I don't, I don't have anything else. I'm like Dory, you know, just keep swimming. Just I just... And, genuinely, it was getting hard. I was uh, My vision was getting blurry, it was hard to breathe, the water was rising around me, I was starting to actually choke on it. But I want you to know this, I'm a very spiritually mature person. And so I prayed, I had a good conversation with God, I was very accepting of my fate because I looked at God and I prayed, really God, is this how I go? Trying to impress a girl? Par for the course, makes sense, I guess this is how I go. Luckily though, God, God got me back to that shore because I don't know how I did it. I'm standing there on the shoreline in knee deep water and just as I'm starting to see big black spots in my vision and I'm just kind of swaying and there's that girl that I'm so desperately trying to impress and she sees the sorry state that I'm in. And she runs over to me and puts my arm over her shoulder and she carries me back to safety. Mm -hmm. It was a sad and a pitiful state but I want you to know we'll be married 10 years this July. Just saying, it worked out. That's right. (laughs) He didn't die. (laughs) Love will make you do dumb things, huh? But I go back to that moment. I tell you that story. I go back to that moment because I think, really, that is the closest I have ever come to to death. That's the closest, drowning in that water with the water rising around me. I think about that moment. You know what I wanted more than anything else in that moment? A lifeline. I wanted somebody to throw me a lifeline. I wanted something that I could hold on to, something that I could hold on to as the water was rising that would tell me, you're gonna be okay. And that's what I'm curious for you tonight. Have you ever felt that way in life? Felt like you were drowning, maybe not in water, but have you ever felt like you're drowning in life, drowning financially, in debt? Maybe you feel like you're drowning in stress or worry or anxiety. You feel like you're drowning in anger and resentment or like we're gonna talk about tonight. Have you ever felt like you're drowning in temptation? See, as we start this brand new series called called Lifeline, that's what I want us to do for a little bit tonight is I want to look at what do you do when it feels like the pressure's on to sin? I want to look at that moment of temptation where you feel feel the water rising, you feel like you're going to have to cut corners on who God has called you to be, and you're going to have to settle for less than what God has said is right and true for your life. When you've got that moment of decision of, am I going to sin or not, but the pressure's on, what do you do, what do you hold on to when you're drowning in temptation? And so I, I, don't know, I, don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever felt like this before, but I think for me, I think the biggest problem with temptation is that it's just unavoidable, right? Like until the day you die, nobody gets a pass on this. You will be tempted in some way, shape, or form. In fact, I don't know who said this before, but I, I like that somebody wrote this once. They said about temptation, they said, listen, the opportun- that opportunity may knock only once, but temptation leans on the doorbell. You feel that, don't you? There's some things that that you want to do that you, you know are wrong, and you tell yourself, "I can't do that. That's wrong." But you still want to, nonetheless. That desire is still there. In fact, the uh, the famous playwright, the famous playwright Oscar Wilde, he his solution for dealing with this never ending temptation. He his here's his solution. He wrote this once: the only way to get rid of a temptation is to yield to it. Just give up. Don't bother fighting it. Just give in. He wrote those words over 150 years ago, and I think our world has come to embrace that attitude more and more with each passing year. In fact, I think there are some of us in here with what you're facing right now. I think with what you're facing right now, some of us are, are thinking, you know what, I agree with that, it's just a matter of time until I give up, until this thing that, that I desire, this, this temptation, and it's just a matter of time until it gets me, and why does it feel that way? Well, I think in order to get a better understanding of temptation, we need to take a second tonight too and talk about where does temptation start? What's the origin point for it? And thankfully, the Bible tells us exactly where it starts. Look at this in the book of James. The Bible says this, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. See, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away these desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow it gives birth to death. So the result of giving into temptation it's sin and eventually death. But did you catch where temptation starts? It's it's not out there somewhere it's not in another person. Temptation isn't because of your circumstances or your particular situation. No, temptation starts in here with our desires. And if that's the case, then you and I need to take a, take a second and pause, and you need to answer this question. What is it for you? What is it for you? What is that desire you have that you know, you, you know if you chased it, it would shipwreck your life, it would wreck everything, but you still want to? What is that desire that you have that you know if you followed after it, it wouldn't lead you closer to God, it would lead you further away from him, but you still want it nonetheless? What is that desire for you? So I want you to hear this. Whatever, whatever that desire is for you, whatever it is that you think could shipwreck your life if you chased after it, you need to hear this. The reality is you're probably never gonna be able to avoid it. That temptation, you're probably not gonna get a pass on it on, on it just disappearing from your life. You don't get a, a pass on it. You don't get to avoid it, but here's the good news. I want you to get this. If you get nothing else today, this is the one thing I want you to get. When you're tempted, sin is not your only option, even though it might feel like it. Right? You might say, listen, this is just how life works for me. This is just how the way, way things are. I mean, listen, with the thing that I struggle with, you don't understand. Nobody else would understand what I struggle with and what I'm, what I'm going through. See, so I think we think things like that we say things like that because it's really easy. When we desire to sin, when we're tempted, it's easy for us to try and justify ourselves, right, to find reasons to think of excuses as to why you and I might be the exception to what God has said is right and wrong in this world, to what God has said is right and true for your life. We make excuses, don't we? And I'll be the first one to admit it, I do this all the time, especially when it comes to my job, when it comes to work, right? So for example, just for me, one of those core desires that I have, I don't understand why I feel this way, I don't understand why I desire this, but ever since I was a kid, I have always had this this desire, this, this drive to prove myself. Like I said, I don't, I don't know why I feel this way. Probably only a therapist could tell you, and I'm not willing to pay that money. I'm just not. But I desire, I want to prove myself to you. I want, I want to prove myself to you, to my family, to my friends, to my coworkers. I want people to know, I know I'm jacked up, but I want people to know that I matter. I want people to know that I'm, I'm worth something, that, that I mean something. I want to prove my value. I want to prove myself to you. And the problem is when I allow that desire to entice me, to lead me away, then that desire leads me to spending more and more time at work and with my family, with my wife and my two little kids. This actually got really, really bad for me. Just a, a few years ago, I was working six, seven days a week. Maybe some of you are doing the same thing, but I was working all the time. I would wake up long before my kids were gonna, long before my kids woke up and I'd sneak into the office and then by the time I got home, my kids were already asleep and I was too tired and exhausted to have anything that resembled a halfway decent conversation with my own wife. I lived like that for a long time, and I made up excuses after excuses after excuses, maybe some of the ones that you've made up too. Because I'd be at work and say, no, no, just, just a few more minutes, just a few more minutes, which turned into a few more hours. Just a few more things, and then I can go home, but the work never ends. My kids will understand one day. When they get older, they'll understand because this is how I provide for my family. They need me to do this. Not only that does my family need me to do this, but my people, my team, they need me to do this as well. They need me. I they can't do this without me cuz I'm important. For too long I lived like that. I was redlining it. Maybe some of you are too. I was I was tired, I was worn out, I was cranky. I was an awful an awful husband and I, essentially I was an absent father. Kind of came to a breaking point, though, when one day I decided that I was actually going to come home early. I was And early to me was on time. I was, going to, I was going to leave work on time just so that I could play with my kids. And I thought, man, when I walk through the door, they haven't seen me in so long. I'm going to be the hero. My son, he's a year old. My daughter, she's three years old at the time. I'm thinking they're going to jump up and down. They're going to be excited that dad is home. I'm going to be the hero. Instead, I opened that door. My two little kids, They froze. And then my daughter said what everybody was thinking. Daddy, what are you doing here? You don't sleep here. You sleep at church. You see, what you're tempted by, that's personal to you. I get that. That kind of stays with you when you're tempted. But when you give in, when you fall to sin, it falls out on the people you love most, doesn't it? I mean, because I go back to that moment, I think of my, my sweet three-year-old little daughter, Eleanor, somewhere in her brain, somewhere between princesses and unicorn is a spot for this thing called dad. And the way I live, the way I speak, the way I act, that greatly impacts how she sees me, her earthly father, but more importantly, I affect the way that she sees God, her heavenly father. And so parents, take it from me. If you're in here and your desires are not benefiting and blessing your children. You need to wake up, you will crush them, you will destroy them, and you cannot get that time back. Or how about this, if you're in here and you're married, you need to stop and realize that you, you alone with just your desires, if you follow after just your desires, you are more than capable of destroying your life for not just you, but your spouse as well. You can destroy your marriage, just just you and your desires. Or if you're in here and you're single, same thing goes for you. You need to wake up and realize that if you, you are more than capable on your own just following after your desires to make some decisions now that are gonna greatly impact your life and your relationships and your sense of identity and value in the future. And listen, I understand when we're tempted, it is so easy to put the blinders up and to make excuses. They usually start with this, you don't understand. You don't understand. I understand that this is a problem, that this is a habit. I'm going to quit tomorrow. You just let me have my last hurrah now. Listen, you don't understand. Have you seen how high rent is lately? We have to move in together. I know we're not married yet, but we're married in here. You don't understand. If God didn't want me to think this way, if God didn't want me to feel this way, he wouldn't have made me like this. We put blinders up and when we make those excuses, but I hope tonight we could just set those aside for a second. And do you see what's really at stake when you're tempted? Because if you go down, the people you love most, they're probably coming with you. See, that's the reality of our situation. But I love this 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that we're holding on to as a lifeline. It goes on. The next part, it tells us about who God is and what he's like. It says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The next part says, and God is faithful. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So what tempts us might be common, but God will not let you be tempted beyond anything that you can bear. That means God is gonna give you the power. He's never gonna put you in a spot where sin is your only option. He's gonna give you the power to resist. He's gonna give you the power to say no. He's gonna give you the strength to do that, but you need to hear this. You won't get God's strength until you surrender. You have to surrender your will to God's. And that makes sense, right? Because when you're tempted, it's your desire. So when you're tempted, hear this. It's not some big battle when you're tempted between Satan's will for your life and God's will for your life. No, when you're tempted, it's your desires. So it's a battle between God's will and yours. And some of of us know what this is like. You've lived long enough. You can play back the tapes, can't you? You can go back to that moment where you blew up your life where it feels like everything falls, fell apart, where it, feels, it felt like you went your own way and you wrecked some things, didn't you? And when you go back to that moment, didn't it start with a conversation with God that essentially went like this? Hey God, I know you love me. God, I know you have plans for my life, but God, I know better. I know better what, what's gonna make me happiest in life and so you went your own way. And you can pinpoint it, right? That's the moment that everything fell apart where you wrecked your finances, where you hurt people, where you damaged your reputation, where you ruined your dreams, you got what you wanted and it wasn't worth it, was it? So you have to have a moment if you're gonna hang on to God in the way that God has, what God is doing in your life, you have to have a moment where you surrender and say, God, not what I want, but God, what you want, what you desire for me in my life. Because we talk about this here all the time in this room, don't we? We talk about how, man, God is faithful to forgive you, that through Jesus, if you'll surrender your life to Jesus, he'll forgive you of every wrong thing you've ever done. That if you would surrender starting right now, that God would forgive you and you would get a fresh start in life. God would give you a fresh start that that with Jesus, you get a do-over. The truth is, you know what you don't always get a do-over on? The fallout, the consequences of your sin. You don't always get a do-over on your marriage. You don't always get a do-over on your health or with your kids or with your time. So God is not just faithful to forgive you, but God is faithful that if you would surrender now, that he will lead you and guide you to avoid the pitfalls and the traps of temptation of sin. But you have to have a moment where you surrender. Surrender. And so that's that's who God is. And so look at this, 1 Corinthians 10 13. It ends like this. Here's the last part of it, the last half of this verse. And this is what I really want us to hold on to as our lifeline when we're tempted. This is what we hold on to. 1 Corinthians 1013 ends by saying this: But when you are tempted, God, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when the pressure's on to sin, you got to hear that sin is not your only option because God has already made a way out for you. Because he's faithful. He, he'll, with whatever you're struggling with right now, he's made a way out. If that's what God does, though, he makes the way out. What's our part? It makes sense. We have to look for it. We have to take our eyes off of the things that we desire that we know are wrong. We have to take our eyes off of those things long enough to look for the way out, the second option that God has already made for us. The problem is that's really hard. It's kind of like, right, when, you, when you, uh, it's like a little kid looking at a jar of candy, they're going, I'm not gonna touch it, but boy, do I wanna. It's what it's like when we're drawn, when we desire to do something that we know is wrong. We fix our eyes on it going, I'm not gonna, but man, it would be nice. It's kind of like this. I remember when I was growing up as a, as a church kid, how I would go to youth group on, on every single Wednesday night. And for a while, we had a student pastor that his favorite thing to talk to us about and preach to us about was purity, about waiting to have sex until you get married. And he talked about it a lot, but I understand because he knew his target audience was a bunch of teenagers, Right. And so one night, I still remember this man, he was up there and he was saying saying his purity talk again. He was going, listen, guys, don't have sex until you get married. Let me help you out. Don't even think about having sex until you get married. And put yourself in my shoes for a second. I am 15 years old and full of hormones. When he said, don't even think about having sex, what do you think I was thinking about? (laughs) I'll give you one guess. See, my point is, man, you and I, we can get so caught up in desiring and and, and thinking about the thing that we know we shouldn't. Even though we're not going to, we fix our eyes on what we shouldn't do instead of looking for what we should do. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like to follow him. When you're tempted, instead of fixing your eyes on your temptation, you fix your eyes on Jesus and the way out that he's already made for you. It's there. You have to look for it. How about this 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that we're holding on to? It ends by saying that God, God will make a way out for you. Why? So that you can endure. What does that mean? What does that, what does that look like? It means this, God is faithful. And with what you're facing right now, God has already made a way out for you. But it's probably gonna be hard. Because it's gonna be the thing, the last thing that you, that you wanna end up doing in the first place, right? Like for example, so if you, if you struggle with, with an addiction, whether it's to, to porn or, or to alcohol or an addiction to anything, it is really hard, isn't it, to step away from that desire and to step into one of our care and recovery groups through living free, isn't it? That's hard to get that kind of help. Or, or if you're in here and, and your desire, let's just be honest, your desire is to, to walk out on your marriage, to throw in the towel on your marriage. If that's what you want to do, it's really hard to step away from that and to step into one of our re engaged small groups or really to step into any one of our small groups just so that you can get the right people around you in your life so that you can get help. It's really hard, but for some of us, our way out is just asking for help. It's like this when I was in college, I had a buddy and his name was Greg. and We all loved Greg and Greg loved Jesus, but Greg, I'll just level with you. Greg was weird, okay? We loved Greg, but he's a little bit odd. Everybody's got that, that oddball friend in their friend group. But I still remember one day Greg walked up to me and he had one of those one of those you know those metal briefcases that has a combination lock on it and Greg walked up to me and he, he had the, the 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 briefcase in his hands and he says, "Here. You hold on to that to that for me a little bit. I'll be back when I need it." I was like, "Is this the start of a mob movie? Am I in the mafia now? I don't What's in the what's in the case, Greg?" And he goes, "No, no, no. It's nothing weird. I just had to put my laptop in there. You see, I've been looking at stuff that you, Tim, you and I both know that I shouldn't be looking at. So I, I locked my laptop in that briefcase. And I'm going to give that to you. You hold on to it. And when I, when I need to do homework, that's why I can't get rid of my laptop and throw it away. When I need to do homework, you'll unlock the briefcase for me so I can do my homework. And I was like, Greg, that's a great idea, buddy. I mean, the only thing is the, the briefcase is locked. So what's the combination so I can open it for you? And he looked at me and he went, I don't know. That's why it's in there in the first place, Tim. You figured it out. It's been 10 years, it's still in that briefcase. (laughs) But don't miss this, I have a lot of respect for my buddy Greg. It was a little extreme, but Greg did something that a lot of us won't do. Greg was tempted, Greg saw a way out, and not only did he take it, he asked for help. See, sometimes your way out, when you're tempted, is just a good friend. It's just having a friend that, that you're not married to, having a friend that you're not dating, but having a friend that you can call when you feel tempted that can pray for you, that can pray with you, having a friend that can show up and hold you accountable, that can ask you the hard questions, that can walk alongside you. The problem is what most studies tell us is that most of us that are watching and most of us that are in this room right now, we don't have a close friend like that. The way our generations are going, it's not there. And if you don't have a friend like that that can lovingly hold you accountable, it tells me two things about your life. The first one is you are asking for trouble because I can't find any verse in the Bible that says that you are meant to follow Jesus on your own. No, you need God and you need God's people. But as well, it also tells me this more specifically, it means you're probably not in a small group or at least it's been a long time since you've been in one. And I know when I start talking about small groups, somebody rolls their eyes and crosses their arms and goes, this again? This again? We're really talking about small groups. Again, you don't understand, Tim, how hard it is to be in a small group with my work schedule, with my kids' sports schedule. It is so hard to be in a small group. It's hard to be in a small group because it's hard to sit down and be open and honest and vulnerable with a bunch of people that I'm getting to know. It's hard to be in a small group. And you know what? You're right. It is hard to be in a small group. You know what's a lot harder? Having to explain to your kids why you couldn't show up again. Having to explain to your wife or to your husband about why you're sitting in the room with them, but your mind and your heart are a million miles away and you're not present with them. It's so much harder having to explain to somebody that you care about and love, about why you went back to the bottle, or the bar or the drug or the addiction, to having to explain to somebody that you said you would never hurt again, having to explain to them why you flew off the handle once again. That's a lot harder. So, here in just a couple of minutes at every single one of our campuses, somebody's gonna stand up and they're gonna talk to you about how you can get plugged into one of our, our care and recovery groups through Living Free, or how you can get plugged into any one of our small groups that meet all over the place, all throughout the week. Some have childcare, even. It's super easy to get plugged in. But as I talk about small groups, for some of us, that's the most terrifying idea. You've gotta hear this. God, with what you're facing right now, God is faithful. He's faithful, and he loves you, and he has made a way out. It's right there, but it's on you. Are you going to take it? How about this? For, for some of us in here, you know that your way out, even as we've been talking tonight, you know that your way out is that thing that God has been asking you to do for a long time, and you just don't want to because it means you're going to have to change your priorities. It means you're going to have to switch around your schedule. You're going have to have to make time to, to get yourself to church on a weekly basis. It means you're going to have to take time to, to change your priorities and, and make sure that you're in a small group or that you're talking with God all the time. For some of us in here, you're going to have to learn how to forgive somebody because you're, what you need to weigh out from is from anger and resentment. But you need to hear this. God is faithful. God is faithful not just to forgive you, but in this moment, if you will surrender, you don't have to drown. You can hold on to the lifeline, to the way out that God has made for you. It's there I know it's uncomfortable, but you've got to hear this. It's worth it. You don't have to drown, but you can hold on. So hold on. Would you pray with me? me, Father, God, you are so good. God, we love you. And God, we remind ourselves that no matter what's going on in our lives, that Father, you are faithful. God, for some of us in here today, With what we're facing, with what we're struggling with, our way out starts with surrender. With giving you what we desire, with giving you our will, with laying our lives down in front of you and saying, Not what I want, God, but what you want. You can have my life. Father, for others of us in here, we've been trying to swim on our own, but we're drowning. God, we're trying to swim in our own efforts, in our own power, in our own strength. And God, we're tired and we're exhausted. God, I pray that we would stop trying to save ourselves and instead we would hold on to the lifeline that you've made for us, whether that's getting into a small group, whether that's having a conversation that we've been putting off for way too long. God, whatever it is, God, I pray that as soon as we walk out of this place today, that we would get up and we would go do what you're calling us to do. God, so that we don't have to drown, but so that we can live as we hold on to you for dear life. God, we love you and we know that you're faithful. And we know that you've given us abundant life through your son, Jesus. We know that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.